0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Welcome into the Otts Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel with me as always. And today is Monday, 11, 16, 20, otherwise known as November 16th of 2020. Uh, Oregon is now 2-0 on the football season coming off a victory up in, up in uh, Washington State. Almost at Portland, which is not even close to where that game was played. Uh, but I was there. Uh, Eric has done a film review. We're going to go through his grades. We're going to discuss just kind of the overall game, overall week of week two in the Pac-12 season. Um, any changes, Eric, of your opinion of this game, how it was played now that you've gone back, rewatched it, done some grades, had some more eyes on this game? Uh, things, you know, focus on other areas. Uh, did your opinion change any way of, of this football game?
0: I don't think a lot. I mean, I think the one thing I'll say that we said on Saturday after not, you know, after the game was just that when things were clicking, they were really clicking that second half, Washington state just didn't have an answer for Oregon defensively. I mean, it really didn't. And the offensive line for Oregon, um, you know, I gave that the highest grade on the offense. Um, I gave them an A grade. They were just, they were dominant. Washington State could not find a way to get in the backfield. They couldn't, you know, they had a hard time staying in front of Oregon's offensive linemen. I think Oregon's offensive line really just dominated that game in the second half. Um, You think about that last drive there, or the last couple drives, really, where Washington State needs to stop. It's a one score game. If they get a stop, they have a chance to come back and maybe tie the game. Maybe they go for two and win it in regulation, et cetera. Every single run play there was just like a big, long, gashing run. You know, C.J. Verdell has one off the right side of the line, and then Travis Dye has a long run off the left side. And at that point, it's pretty much, it's pretty much over. Um, you know, and C, you know, and, and then Cyrus Tavikil comes in and, and caps it with a run to seal it. You know, I, I just think that the offensive line was so dominant in the second half. Credit to Oregon's running backs for for hitting those holes, but like. They're not taking anything away from either Travis Dye or C.J. Verdell because they both ran really hard. But like those were offensive line wins. And this is a group that replaced all five starters. This is just their second game in. And we should note, once again, they rotated through six linemen. Um, We have some kind of interesting data up on duckterritory.com. You go check out of just the snap counts. And later this week, I'm planning on, on doing a scopal system, breaking down kind of which groups are the most effective in certain areas. So that'll be something to keep an eye on if you're a VIP subscriber. Um, If you're not, um, we will be running uh, a VIP subscription uh, prom- promotion later this week that was certainly worth looking at to, so you can read those kind of uh, – look at some of that data. But this group is is basically a six-man rotation, and they just dominate at the line of scrimmage. And, it, you know, I think they wear on a, on a defensive line. And I think, you know, I think for a while I felt like, okay, why are they – do they not just have five linemen? Or is there just kind of like a extended – you know, audition for playing time, I think it's the opposite. Now you have six offensive linemen and that allows you to rotate. Um, only Alex Forsyth and Malasama, Malasala Amave Laulu played every snap last week. Everybody else got a couple of series rest at some point during the game. I think that's super beneficial. And I think what you see at the end of these games is Oregon is just dominating up front. And I think that was probably the thing that's, you know, again, it wasn't surprising, but the thing that maybe stood the most was just how dominant they were in that second half. Both, you know, both in pass protection, I don't think Tyler Shuck really got touched very much, but mostly just in, you know, on the ground. I mean, these guys just dominated you know, everything at the line of scrimmage.
1: Um, to your point of Oregon's offensive line and that how dominant Oregon has been, look, it's a small sample size. I realize that. I'm not going to freak out too much, but I am going to make a point to point this out. Oregon leads the entire country right now as a team in yards per carry at 7.08 yards per carry through two games in Oregon season now other teams have played you know eight seven six games some teams have played four or five Um, you have a handful of teams that are in that two range but that number will change and fluctuate as Oregon starts playing more and more games but that's still nonetheless very impressive. Not only do they lead the the conference, but they lead the entire country right now in yards per carry at 7.08 yards uh, per carry this season. If you want to look at the Pac-12, ASU is second at 6.79. They're also second in the country, but they've only played one game. Um, Washington State is third in the Pac-12 with 5.77. And you you, you maybe look at, okay, well, maybe it's who they've played defensively. And... Washington State, through two games, has given up a ton of yards. They're 10th in the conference in yards allowed per carry, uh, 5.84 yards. Stanford is middle of the road. They are 6th within the conference at 5.25. Right just below Oregon at 5.12. And I think that right there, Eric, like I think that's a little alarming for me. Uh, Seeing that Oregon's defense, which we've said it ourselves, was – Supposed to be very good up front. Their front seven was supposed to be special, um, elite. And I'm not saying they aren't good, but in 2019 they allowed, you know, the second fewest yards per carry of 3.27 yards per carry uh, last year. And in 2020 that number has jumped all the way to 5.12. Only one school in the conference actually, and it's UCLA, Oregon's next opponent, is under four. The Bruins are at 3.66. So. I look at this and think two games in a row now. Um, Oregon's run game has defensively been a little suspect, which is a little surprising to me.
0: Oh, I don't disagree at all. And uh, you know, going back to my game grades, I thought the offense outperformed the defense. I gave the defense a C plus grade, and that might have been a little bit too high. I mean, I think the area that really stood out is, I, you know, and I think I think the defensive line was probably not at its best, but for the most part, performed pretty well. I think KT was actually a lot more. I think you go back and rewatch it. He was very uh, impactful. He was, he was all over the place behind the line of scrimmage on run plays. Obviously, got to Jaden Delora a little bit. No sacks, but two quarterback hurries or hits. But it, it was the linebackers to me. And I thought Noah Sewell played pretty well. I know he made a couple of mistakes. But I, I was kind of disappointed while watching and then on rewatch with just how Mace Footen and Isaac Slade Mato Atia played. I don't think those two players played up to their potential. I don't think either of them really. I think they both kind of regressed from the first week almost, you know, and regression is not the right term because it's like they got worse as players, but they didn't perform as well as they played against Stanford. And so I look at those two guys and think like Oregon needs to get much better play from their veteran linebackers. And I know Mace Funa, this is his first year starting, but he played a lot last year and Isaac Slade, Matatia is far and away the most experienced player in this group. They need to get better production from both those players Noah Sewell is, is a freak and he is going to make some really, really good plays, which you saw again on Saturday where he's just physically just so incredibly impressive, but he's going to make mistakes. And he made some of those again last week. So I, I, I look at this and think you're right. The run stats, disappointing, confusing, a little bit confounding. You know I mean? Oregon didn't, I know they lost Troy Dye and I know they lost Bryson Young. I think there was a lot of optimism that they would be better at this level, and they just haven't been as good as I thought. Maybe, maybe we were, had too high expectations for how everybody was going to fill in for, for Troy Die. That's a hard player to replace. But through a couple of weeks, it's been a little underwhelming from those guys, and I think the rushing stats are largely, reflex, largely a reflection of that. Um, I don't think this is like – I know some people want to say, well, maybe it's, it's largely on Jordan Scott or Austin Fallew or Kayvon Thibodeau because those guys are the front line. Well, those guys are doing, I think, pretty admirably up front Against a good Washington State offensive line, we should acknowledge that. Like Washington State and Stanford, those might be two of the, two of the best offensive lines Oregon's going to face all season. I think those guys handled themselves pretty well. It was just the second level, from my perspective, that really kind of struggled to, to you know, find the run fits and fill the gaps.
1: Now, we should also note that Oregon just played probably two of the more difficult teams to prepare for offensively. Sure. Um, Stanford in back-to-back weeks because they do things t- totally different than everybody else. Um, Stanford being, you know, their ground and pound, you know, super jumbo offense, and they rely so much on, you know, fullbacks and tight ends and triple tight end sets and what have you, and uh, they really suck the air out of the football and slow the game down um, in terms of, you know, chewing up clock. Like possessions are a premium in that football game. Um, and then Washington State, while they were more run and shoot. Uh, they were a little bit different this year and they have been different this year than the Mike Leach era. They're still running a, an offense that no one else in the, in, in the conference runs. And maybe that's a factor of it. And, and look, both teams are tough to prepare for because of the, you know, they, they run different styles. Now moving forward, everyone Oregon's going to play is essentially, you know, a familiar team and you can steal some you know, prep work from the week before for, for that, you know, current team. And maybe that leads to the defense making a jump. They've now played the two tougher, more exotic type—maybe that's the right word—offenses in the league, and everyone else will will maybe fall into place here a little bit.
0: I think that's fair. I think the other thing that you you noticed on rewatching, just watching the game, is so many missed tackles, and I think that's just going to yeah. get better. So that's just going to get better, and that's what you know. And I, I think you see that across the country to start the season. Though I mean, this is their second game of the year. In a year where they had limited opportunities to do live tackling, I mean, we, I mean we talked about this and I don't know if we like harped on this quite enough but like they didn't have a spring game they lost 11 total spring practices and then they lost one of their big scrimmages for for the fall um, they didn't have warm-up games against you know Montana or Portland State or Nevada on their schedule um, they're jumping into and like you said they're jumping into two defenses or two offenses that are hard to prepare for but the tackling just really wasn't good enough like point blank and and it was by some of the guys you'd expect to be better. You know, I mentioned a couple of them. Ace and Isaac Slade, Matautia, they weren't great. Noah Sewell missed a couple tackles. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau had a couple come through his grasp. Certainly some guys at the, the third level in the defensive backfield had some issues as well. I thought Jamal Hill had some decent moments, but also missed some plays. So, like, there's a lot, I think, that needs to be improved on this, you know, improved upon from this group. And it doesn't necessarily get too much easier because, you know, you can say what you want to say about, Chip Kelly, but Oregon fans know better than most how good of an offensive game planner he can be. I know UCLA is, I don't know. I don't know what to think of them after their first two games and they get stomped pretty good. I know they came back against Colorado, but they gave up 48 points in that game. Um, and then the next week they've just blasted a Cal team, which now I'm feeling really silly about (laughs) that was the one game I had Oregon losing in the regular season was to Cal and UCLA goes out and beats them 34 to 10 on Sunday. So, um, it's that part's kind of confounding, but I don't think you can expect. you know, I made that prediction um, after Saturday's game without having seen UCLA play a second time um, against Cal that Oregon was going to blast them pretty good. And I we will get through this week and probably have a better, I'll have a better idea of what I want to predict from that regard. But, I don't think it's going to be like a, a walkover game either. And this is a UCLA offense that put it up 42 points one week and 34 the next. And we think Cal's defense is pretty darn good. So um, it's good. I'm very curious to see. I think this is a re- another, I mean, you're going to say every week of the season, basically, because it's such a condensed season. But this is going to be another big test for Oregon defensively, no doubt.
1: Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll d- dive into maybe some of the individual performances that we were really impressed with.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: All right, welcome back to the and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, with me on the show. As always on this Monday, um, Eric, individually, I think there were a lot of performances in this football game that were impressive. Uh, And on the flip side, you, you were a little disappointed maybe um from a, a, a perspective of who stood out individually i i think obviously um tyler shuck is going to be the one that everyone's going to gravitate to because it's quarterback he had 312 yards passing four touchdowns he did have an interception but he completed 21 of his 30 passes he ran for 81 yards um on just what nine carries really impressive from him again, but I'm going to look at Jalen red as a guy that, that had a huge game and he didn't score, but Micah Pittman didn't play in this football game. Johnny Johnson was targeted. I think just three times caught one pass for two yards, which was, which was a touchdown, but it was clear. Washington state was not going to let Johnny Johnson do anything. And Jalen Red had some impressive catches and was all over the football field. I've said it before on the podcast. I'm gonna say it again. I think I think Jalen Red is one of the more underappreciated players of the last you know four or five seasons at Oregon. Agreed. And pound for pound, is one of the tougher dudes out there. And he had just a hell of a performance for Oregon.
0: Well, he had the long catch that, and you said he didn't catch a touchdown. That should have been a touchdown. Uh, Tyler Shuck didn't get that ball out quick enough. If he gets that out, you know, a second sooner or so, that's a touchdown. Right. And then we even have to punch it in from Burdell the next play. Um, he had, an, I mean, he, you know, I think one thing that you look at Jalen Red and, and you think like, oh, okay, well, he's like a gadget guy. They get him in space. They let him go. Like, he's had now two consecutive weeks where he's had incredible catches in traffic. I mean, he had that one in Stanford against Stanford um, in double coverage. He had another one. Where it was a Washington State defender, just draped all over him, and he came down with it. Um, that's a great pick, Matt. I thought Jalen Rudd was fantastic. They needed, without Micah Pittman, with the way Washington State defended Johnny Johnson, they needed someone to step up. He really came through, um, you know. And, and for me, offensively, I think I just have to stay Travis Die. Um, this guy is so fun to watch when they get him in space, and it's pretty remarkable the kind of production he's gotten. I mean, he's not touched the ball that much this season. He's had 13 touches yeah. in two weeks. Three of those have been touchdowns and he's averaging like what well, I think I, I post the stat on Saturday night. Let me see if I can find it. Um, but, but he's, but he's, I mean, he's just a game breaker right now. He's had 13 touches for 200, 220. Yeah. 220. And that's about 14 yards per touch. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just nutty stuff. And I love the way they're getting creative and, and getting him the ball in space. He had one touch on all of last season. They've played two games this year, he has three now. It's clear that both he and CJ. Verdell are very much versatile players that can be really valuable in the run game and in the passing game. And the way he's able to just beat defenders to spots, like, I think it was the quote he said, you know, on that 71-yard wheel route of, um, you know, basically, if I'm even, I'm leaving." which is, you know, if if the defensive, if the lineman, if we're even once I cross in at the line of scrimmage, you know, put the ball out there. And I think it was Ron Stone for Washington State who was the defensive lineman who drew the unenviable task of trying to stay in front of one of Oregon's faster playmakers in space. And he just got burnt down the sideline. And it was a pretty easy throw and catch. And I think Travis Dye, you mentioned Jalen Redd as an underappreciated guy. I know Travis Dye has his faults. He's fumbled it probably more than you, not probably, he's fumbled it more than you'd like. He had another one on Saturday, but when you get him out in space, he is, he's a weapon. And we've seen that now this week. We saw that against Stanford love what Joe Mora has done in terms of finding creative ways to get him involved, both as a runner and as a pass catcher. Um, I think somebody who, gosh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 2021 to CJ J. go pro. If he does, I'd be curious to see what a season looks like with Travis Diaz Probably not going to be getting like 20, 25 carries a game, but like as the primary running back, what that would look like. Another, another player, like you said, with the red, I think just kind of gets overlooked a little bit.
1: Yeah. And I, I think I remember in 2000, and I can't remember if it was last year or if it was his freshman year, in which late in the year, I was just like, you know what? Travis Dye needs to be used more in the passing game. It felt like he was just a natural fit to slip him out, um, whether it's in screens or, you know, the, 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 the dump off the check down play um, or or what we've seen the last, you know, last weekend where he slipped out of the backfield and, you know, did a wheel route or went up the seam for, for two touchdowns. I just look at this and think, this is a guy who needed to be used more in in the passing game. And I, I think Joe Moorhead and look, we've said this a couple times. We said it on the post game show. Like it, Moorhead's offense is utilizing the skill sets of Oregon's running backs to a tenth degree, to yep. you know the, the the best of their abilities. He's he's maximizing everything that they can get out of their running backs. And you know Dye's skill set has is not a guy that that that's running between the tackles every single down. And can he do it? Sure, but. He's best when you put him in one-on-one situations, like he said after the end of the game of, you know, if I'm even, I'm leaving and, you know, get him in one-on-one, get him in space. And and he's shifty. I mean, he, he's agile and let him, let him move. And I, I think we're seeing a perfect compliment of Verdell be the guy in which he is going to just, you know, grind teams down. He's going to you know run over guys. He's also going to break off some big ones. He, and he's also going to be a guy where, you know, He's he's gonna have a couple catches, you know, per game, and he's gonna hover around that 100, you know, that that 30 to 40 yard, you know, receiving game. And Ver, Verdell has seven catches on the year, which is tied for second. And DJ Johnson has has seven. But then you you look at you know, what Travis Dye has been able to do, and he comes in and and you get about two series with him or two possessions with him running the football, where he's a change of pace guy in the second half. And then it, it 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 just you know he gashes him because he's he's a a very I think he's quicker than than Verdell is, um, and he's just a different style yep. of runner. And then you hit him with the passing game, and it, it really changes things. They're, they're complementary of each other really, really well. Um, I, I think it's impressive to watch. And um, you're right, the touches that that Die has so far is is pretty darn cool. Um, defensively, a, a guy that I don't think really needs any introduction but someone that was, you know, once again, really, really good. And, and that was Didi Diomade Lenore, um, a, a guy in which he was targeted four times. He allowed two catches for just 15 yards and for, for the season now has been targeted seven times, two receptions, a three, a 39.6 passer rating when targeted, And he hasn't allowed a reception in the second half, which is pretty darn impressive this season.
0: I'm with you there. I'll add on. I think Mikhail Wright did not play very well against Stanford in the opener. He got beat a couple of times downfield. And we should note Washington state seemed to really pick where it wanted to go, but I don't think they got Mikhail Wright much at all either on Saturday. I thought Mikhail played a little bit better in coverage. Obviously had the kickoff return. Um, it was pretty clear Washington state said, I don't want anything to do with Wright or Lenore on the edge. And we're going to try to pick on Nick Pickett. And I don't want to go too far down the roll, you know, on this, but Nick Pickett got beat pretty bad, probably half a dozen times. And it was concerning the way they kind of brutalized him, but I don't want to take too much away from it. I don't want to go down too much of the negative stuff, but I think that part needs to be said on rewatch. You notice like almost every big play down the field was, was on a guy Pickett was guarding, and, and that's not something you like to see from one of your senior leaders. But I thought Mikhail Wright, along with D.D. Lenore, I thought both the corners performed very well on Saturday. Lenore is just a lockdown guy, and, and now you get to the point here where you expect that from him every week, and you're surprised when he gets beat. I remember, I think one of Washington State's first completions of the game was a pass to Trevor Harris, where he beat D.D. Lenore and then kind of made a spin move and got to the sideline for about 8 to 10 yards. Um, maybe it was more than that. It was probably a first down, maybe 12 yards. But after that, it was like, no, nothing, nothing, they didn't beat them at all. And those two guys are super talented on the edge. I think, you know, for me right now, I feel like the strength of the secondary is those two corners. And the biggest concern is what they've got at safety and and, and at nickel. And I know that's not totally fair because Veron McKinley missed the first half this last week. Nick Pickett's going to miss the first half against UCLA. So they're, they're not able to get that continuity that we would have expected, but I think we have to be a little concerned with, with those two guys and not thrown as much as Nick Pickett. I know Nick Pickett, you know, Pickett made a lot of tackles he had 10, he now is 14 for the season to lead the team. But I think that's one of those misleading stats where you're like, wow, he had 10 tackles, but part of the reason he had 10 tackles was because he got beat so much in coverage that he had, you know, his guy caught the ball and he had to you know, chase that player out of bounds. So um, that's an area if, if I want to just kind of highlight an area that I think is maybe, well, I've got another one in a second we'll get to, but, the area that I was probably most concerned with was just how Washington state brutalized Oregon's, um, safeties, nickelbacks and coverage.
1: Yeah. That's what I was going to highlight next was just Nick Pickett had a good game from a tackles perspective, but he was no pun intended picked on, um, uh, back and forth. I think (laughs) didn't really mean to to do that, but no pun intended there. Um, Washington state really targeted him and they really targeted, uh, Bennett Williams, Jordan Happel, whoever was in at the other safety spot. And they really targeted um, Jamal Hill. And Washington State's slot guys really seemed to have a, a really good performance in this game. Now, is that going to translate every week? I don't know. But I think Washington State probably should put some stuff on film of, hey, you can attack, in the, you can attack the middle. You can attack the slots that... You know, Oregon has in the, in the secondary, because uh, obviously Lenore and, and Mikhail Wright are are, are, are dangerous and, and are good, and you you want to stay away from them. But if you go into the middle and you go after their safeties and you go after their nickel, uh, you can have some success there. Um, curious to see if that translates over to week three, though.
0: Oh, 100%. And we should note Oregon has faced inexperienced quarterbacks this last two weeks, right? I mean, Jack West slash Tanner McKee for Stanford. Those guys don't have a lot of starting experience. Jaden Delora, unexperienced. At least UCLA, you can say what you want to say about DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, but he's an experienced quarterback and I think it's a different animal and we mentioned on last week's show or not last week, but on Saturday's show, um, you know, that they're not going to have Nick Pickett to start this game. I don't want to make an argument that that could be a positive thing, but I'm. it's not... Un, you know, it's, not, it's unthinkable that whoever replaces him is a little better in coverage and performs a little better. But I think that part's going to be interesting to watch and follow. And the other thing I just... If we're talking about things that on rewatch that concern me and, and it, it concerned me after the game, too, we just haven't talked much about it, is 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 just place kicking. You know, I mean, Camden Lewis, two, two field goal tries this season are both 37 yards. Those are field goal attempts from, you know, the fringe of the red zone. You got to be able to hit those. And to miss both, and I know... If you go and watch the kicks, the one against Stanford, I don't know if that was an issue with the hold or something, but it just sounded weird coming off the foot. I know I think Chris Fowler or Kirk Herbstreet, one of them said that as the kick came off. This one against Washington State was a lot closer, but he pushed it right. Or Oregon needs to be able to kick field goals. And when yeah. you get the ball down to the 20-yard line and within that range, and you don't have confidence in your kicker, that's an issue. That changes things. And... You know, I made a. Uh, this will be the one prediction I'll, I'll make here, um, or that I'll that I'll note. I made five predictions. I posted it up on this other side. I do that every every Monday morning. Is, is is five predictions for the upcoming game, just to kind of turn the page and, and start looking forward. Uh, one of them is I'm I'm predicting that Camden Lewis is going to make multiple field goals this week, and I'm almost putting it out there into the universe, being like, kind of like hoping this happens because if he goes out there and struggles again against UCLA, like. When does it start becoming, hey, we need to find other solutions at kicker? And maybe we're almost already at that point. We speak with Mario Cristobal uh, later today. and We'll speak with him on Wednesday again. I don't know if that'll be something that will that'll come up. I'm, I'd like to kind of pick his brain and see where he's at with the confidence level there. But Camden Lewis looks good pregame with kicking. We mm-hmm. I, I noted this. He hit like 345 yarders in a row pretty easy before the Stanford game I watched. I don't know. Matt was at the game in Washington. I don't know if he pay attention to that or not, but
1: he he didn't miss many i know he missed one um in warmups, but that was the only one that i saw but i also will be honest that i didn't see every single kick that he, he attempted in warm-ups
0: sure but like so like he looks better in warmups than he does in the game so put it that way he's money from extra points he's 67 for 69 in his career from that distance which is honestly not with the way the rules have changed not that far not that diff- different from the kicks he's missing from field goals. Um, the organ needs to get this figured out it's concerning and I know it hasn't bitten them yet yet so far but you're taking points off the board and you can't be doing that and and you've got to be able to find something some sort of continuity some sort of confidence at kicker you can't just be I mean he's he's nine for 16 in his career as a kicker and I don't think he's a tried more than one plat you know one past 40 yards I mean that's just that's just not good enough so um I know it's like a mini rant there but like they, this, this this is kind of getting to a point here where year one, okay, it's a freshman kicker. Year two, he's had an off season to get better. Through two weeks, we haven't seen that yet. And and I personally am personally am pretty concerned here. And I guess if I'm Mario Cristobal, does it come to a point here where you go out and I don't think you want to use a scholarship, but where you try to find the best walk-on kicker you can to bring in because it's just not, it's just not getting it done. And I'm personally, I'm concerned. And I'm hoping, like I said, like I'm in my prediction, I'm, I'm kind of putting that energy in the universe of like, okay, let's, Let's hope that this gets better. But if it doesn't, yikes.
1: Two weeks into this football season now, Oregon sits atop the conference standings with a 2 0 record. Um, There are certainly a couple challengers in this team, in this conference. USC is another team who's 2 0. Colorado is another team who is 2 0. Washington is one to zero, but they play. They will play one less game than the Ducks. Um, those are the only teams right now that have a positive winning percentage. Everybody else is below five hundred. Utah has yet to play a football game this season, so um, we don't know much about them. But two weeks in, no, seeing what we've seen in the first two weeks of the year, Eric am I being Homer here or is Oregon kind of far and away the top team in the conference right now?
0: I don't think you're being overly Homer. I think it's two weeks. It's a small sample size. Some seem, like we haven't even sure. seen Utah play a game. <laughs> Utah hasn't played yet. Arizona state played once. Washington only played once. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're The sample sizes cows only played once sample size is pretty small, but I think they've been the most consistent in two games. Right. I mean, like you're, Candidates for more impressive or what, like USC or Colorado, the only other two teams I think who've won twice, and USC's had to had to go down to the wire to beat both Arizona and Arizona State in a couple consecutive weeks. They, had to they come back should in the last be second. zero
1: and two right now.
0: They like, should, right? Yeah, hundred percent. They, they needed last second touchdowns to win in consecutive weeks, and credit to them for being able to to pull those last second, you know, those two minute drive, two minute drills off, um, even less than that. And I think in both cases. Like is Colorado been more impressive? I I don't think so. Um, They've been the biggest – That's probably the best field goal story.
1: Yeah, they're the story. Like, like uh, Carl Durrell probably becomes Pac-12 Coach of the Year uh, front runner if if they win one more game. Like if they finish the year three and three. Like before that seventh week, um, like it's going to be tough to to say he's not Coach of the Year. So yeah, like they're the best story, but they're not the best team.
0: No. and then i'd like say like okay in the pac 12 north we thought this was cal and washington as oregon's biggest competitors well cal got their doors blown off them by by ucla over the weekend like i said earlier i'm kind of i posted on twitter the homer simpson gif of me like backing into the into the brush um or into, into the bush of like uh sorry i shouldn't have predicted cal to beat oregon cuz i just kind of after seeing that score i'm like well that doesn't look like it's going to happen and then washington like you want to talk about some of the worst officiating I've ever seen. Um, and we don't, yeah. we don't, I don't, this is not an Oregon state podcast here. And those listening know they what I'm talking screwed. about. They got screwed about as bad as I've ever seen. I mean, two consecutive plays, Jamar Jefferson looks like he picks up a first down to set up a, you know, a first and goal at what that would have been like the three or four yard line both times. Somehow they say he doesn't. And, and like literally the second one, I, I, I messaged Matt about this. I had the, the, uh, I had the TV muted. And I, you know, I kind of picked up to watch the run. Okay. Oh, he picks it up. He, you know, got at least a yard over the line. And then I look back up 15 seconds later and Jimmy Lake is like celebrating on the sideline. I'm like, wait, did they, did he fumble it? Did I miss a fumble? And then it comes back from break. And they're saying he was short and I'm just like, what the heck is going, there's no way. Um, that one was screwy. And if that, if, if Oregon state goes in and scores a touchdown there, they probably win that game. You know, I know Washington has a chance to come back, but like Washington was not impressive against Oregon state in their first game. So like, I looked around the division. Stanford's lost twice; they're kind of they're out of it. Oregon's already beaten Washington State. Oregon State's lost twice. Cal looks Cal Cal lost already, and Washington looked about as unimpressive in a win as possible. And you go to the south, and it's like Arizona State might not play another game this season. Utah hasn't played yet. <laughs> Arizona's Arizona's maybe the most impressive team in the Pac-12 South besides or besides Colorado and USC. Um, no, I don't think there's any question. Oregon's the most impressive team so far. Um, because there just isn't another team that's really looked good from week to week besides Colorado.
1: Yeah. I just look at this and, and just go across the, the landscape of the conference and just look at what Oregon is, has looked like and what the rest of the league has looked like. And I just, my picks that, that they're going to go undefeated and that they're going to win this conference continues to, uh, get stronger and stringer, stronger and stronger in my belief. Um, I, Honestly, like I'm almost more concerned about Oregon having a game canceled than Oregon having. Maybe that's a hot take, but then, but I have more concern of Oregon having a game canceled than them losing right now. Like, that's that's my concern. If they can play, if they get the opportunity to play a game, I am going into those games very confident that they're going to win, just because of what we talked about the early on part of the show of how just impressive Oregon's offensive line has been. The, the run game, the running back production that Oregon is getting, Tyler Shucks' production, and yes, there is concern with the defense. But you look at the conference, and Oregon is second in the conference in points allowed per game at twenty one point five. Everybody else, uh, Washington has played one; they allowed twenty one points. Everybody else, US, ASU twenty eight, USC twenty eight and a half, UCLA twenty nine, and then the second half of the conference, six through twelve, or six through eleven, excuse me, Utah hasn't played. They're all averaging over 30 points, 32 points a game. Um, You want to look at a national average, 21 points right now. Oregon is 25th in the country in scoring average. And yes, it's a small sample size, but I look at Washington State and I look at that game and I think, yeah, they gave up over 400 yards of offense. Yes, Washington state got into the red zone six times and they scored all six times. But like we saw against Stanford, we saw again against Washington state when they got within scoring distance, the defense bowed up and kind of went back to that traditional, you know, Oregon defense, what we've seen for years under Nick Agliotti of bend, but don't break. Once they got into that red zone, Washington state only scored the touchdowns three out of six times. And they had to, they had to take three field goals which essentially wiped off 12 points from the scoreboard that they could have had. And we're going to win by 14. Like the defense is doing what they need to at the most important times. And yeah, they're giving up yards, but they're not giving up points.
0: No doubt about it. I think, I I, I think I really do feel like we could get to a point here these next couple of weeks. And I'm, I'm, I think this UCLA game is interesting. of just, we finally start seeing it come together. And and I know we've seen it's been very uneven performances so far in each game. Like first half has been pretty, pretty poor in both games. I think on both sides of the ball, second half been a lot better credit to the coaches for making adjustments and for the players coming out and obviously performing better. But if they get all four quarters, we talk about the rest of the conference, they could start housing some of these teams. I know 14 points, 21 points. Those are pretty impressive margins. I, I could see Oregon if they play a full game against really any of their remaining opponents winning by four touchdowns, maybe five touchdowns. If they put it all together, I think that at that level, we just haven't quite seen it come together for a full game yet.
1: What w- real quick, real quick. We're going to end the show here. UCLA chip Kelly comes back to odds to second time. I think that storyline is going to be kind of played out here a little bit, but Agreed. Um, we've seen kind of two different UCLA teams in their first two weeks of the season. Uh, your confidence in Oregon winning this football game, and I guess what's just kind of that, that main kind of key or, or question that needs to be answered going into UCLA? I,
0: I really think it's just, can they do for, do it for four full quarters? Um, I, we have yet to see a team that is able to keep up with Oregon in the second half. Um, you know, I know they, they only won by two scores against Washington State and they need to score late there, but they outscored them by – Twenty nine, you know, twenty nine to ten in the second half there, and it kind of didn't feel like it was that close. Um, If they can do that for four full four full quarters against UCLA, I think they win. And and then the other thing for me, like UCLA is tied for Oregon for the most turnovers given away this year. They both teams have turned over five times in two games. This Oregon defense needs to force some turnovers, Um, and I think that part can can be what leads to a dominant a more dominant win of like they're losing the turnover battle by two against Stanford. They win by 21 points by three against Washington state. They win by 14 points. You eliminate the turnovers, or at least you have a, you know, a positive turnover margin. I think the sky's the limit for blowing out UCLA or at least beating them by more than three touchdowns.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think if they can kind of create some turnovers defensively for Oregon, like you said, um, and I think, that'll be huge. And I think and I'm going to ask Crystal ball this later today of how what is how can you get this team to play like they are in the second half starting in the first half? Because if if we get second half Oregon for an entire period of a game this season, Oregon might score 60 points. Like like 59, 63, 62 type types deal. Um I look at this offense and think when they've in the second half, they've been unstoppable. Like the only thing that has stopped them in the second half has been lack of execution, missed field goals, essentially. um, Or the just kneeling on the ball to end the game. That's really the only things that have stopped them in the second half, two weeks in a row. So what can you do to get that level of execution earlier in the game? Or is it simply just, Hey, you know, we're making adjustments. We're, we're building a game plan and, and then after we see a first half of what Washington State or what Stanford was doing, we adjusted. And, and it, it's played that that way out where we're just really good. Um, I'm with you. I, I think this game could get really, really wide margin of victory uh, if Oregon plays a clean football game on both sides of the football. It's going to be fun to watch. It's be fun to cover leading up to this game. Remember, it's now a Saturday night game, not a Friday. Or I guess I shouldn't say Saturday night. We don't know the time yet. Um, but it's been moved from Friday to Saturday to help the Bruins. Um, they played on Sunday against Cal because of both those team teams had games canceled um, leading up to the, their, their normal games. So they moved. They met each other on Sunday. So to help UCLA, the game has been moved from Friday night to sometime Saturday. Um, just guessing here, Eric, I'm going to kind of assume this game's going to be played somewhere between 4 and 8 p.m. Pacific time. Um, Seems like a good bet. <laughs> have a hard time seeing it be played during the middle of the day, but that's where we're, I, I, I think we're going to be in store for another night game. Um, Eric and Kevin will be—it's uh, their turn to be at Otson Stadium. So make sure to follow those guys on Twitter. Make sure to follow us on DuckTerritory.com. And like Eric said, uh, we will have a huge promotion coming up on the site. So keep your eyes on that. And if you really want to dive in, you can get a subscription today for one dollar for your first month, nine ninety-five. Thereafter that so thank you for listening to the Otson and audibles podcast
0: talk to you later folks okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road any road the steeper the better